are the only minority group that you can join overnight. From Overnight Productions. In the twinkling of an eye, in fact. Hate has been unleashed in this country, and people have been emboldened to act on their hate. We choose pride. Pride is back at the White House. One guy took the class thinking it would be easy, and then he recommended it to a friend. And the word spread that I was not a man hating toadstool, but a person who really was an advocate for athletes, particularly athletes of color and international students as well. This case is problematic from top to bottom. Uh, it is precisely why we have characterized Brittany Griner as a uh, wrongful detainee. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. Tel Aviv Pride enjoys a peaceful celebration. Biden orders pro-queer policies at his White House Pride party. And women score high in sports history. Those stories and a lot more this week, now that you've chosen This Way Out. Wendy Natividad. And I'm Michael LeBeau. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending June 18th, 2022. Tis the season to be prideful. Close to 170,000 people paraded with LGBTQ pride on June 10th in Tel Aviv. This year's crowd in Israel's most welcoming seaside city was substantially larger than last year's estimated 100,000. COVID canceled 2020 celebrations. Brief remarks by Tel Aviv Mayor Ron Hulday and Israeli Social Equality Minister Merav Cohen kicked off the festivities. Several other government officials and politicians participated. U.S. Ambassador Thomas Nides and a delegation from the embassy were among the international dignitaries in the procession. The mood in Tel Aviv was considerably more relaxed and festive than it was at Jerusalem's march a week earlier. Participants there have been routinely threatened and violent assaults have occurred. More than two dozen men assaulted a pride parade in the German city of Karlsruhe on June 4th. They surrounded and beat a woman carrying a rainbow flag, which they set on fire. Several other marchers were attacked, and at least one required hospitalization. Organizers are complaining about a failure of police response. German journalist Amelia Brandt saw it all. She tweeted, Despite a police presence of at least 10 vans, only nine police officers got out and took care of those affected. Brandt also says she witnessed some emergency service providers treating the injured with anti-queer rhetoric. Officials issued a statement on June 6th to say that they are investigating the allegations of police malfeasance. None of the attackers have been arrested. Karlsruhe is located in Germany's northeast and is home to more than 300,000 people. In the U.S. state of Maryland. I went from being extremely sad to being extremely angry. You know, people are just trying to live their lives, and this is a place where most people are comfortable. Hate has been unleashed in this country, and people have been emboldened to act on their hate. Neighbors in the welcoming Baltimore suburb of Abel are horrified at the loss of four homes to a fire thought to have been started by a pride flag burning. Their dismay was captured by local TV station WJZ after vandals ignited a flag and other rainbow decorations adorning at least two homes on opposite sides of the street. Three residents were hospitalized. At last report, one is in serious condition and two are in critical condition. 
Police officials have yet to declare these to be hate crimes. They will only say that they are investigating a case of malicious burning. Agents from the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives are reportedly assisting in the investigation. For God's sake, leave people alone. Just leave people alone. You don't know how many people have been affected by this. 31 white supremacists arrested near Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, on June 11th did not go there to leave people alone. They planned to attack a local LGBTQ pride picnic. They're all members of the Patriot Front, an offshoot of the deadly 2017 white nationalist Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. A suspicious local resident who saw something and said something was the real hero of the story. They noticed a group of masked men in blue shirts, khakis, and baseball caps carrying shields piling into a large van. The 911 caller told police the men looked like a little army. According to police officials, the arrested foe soldiers came from Arkansas, Colorado, Illinois, Missouri, Oregon, South Dakota, Texas, Utah, Virginia, Washington, and only one actually from Idaho. Each man is charged with conspiracy to riot. Organizers from the North Idaho Pride Alliance were relieved. They told local TV station KXLY that their annual Pride in the Park event was the largest in its six-year history. Pride Month attacks on Drag Queen Story Hour are escalating. When bedazzled drag queens read life-affirming children's books to young kids and their parents, ignorant critics have taken to equating the events with sex shows and strip clubs. Such absurdity led at least five men identified as members of the neo-Nazi Proud Boys to storm the San Francisco-area San Lorenzo Library this week. Hurling homo and transphobic bile, they shouted, Groomer, at Drag Queen Story Hour host Kyle Chu, who was reading in drag as Panda Dulce, dressed in a San Francisco Giants baseball outfit. Dulce recalls one of the menacing invaders wearing a t-shirt that said, Kill your local pedophile, under the image of an assault rifle. The aggressive disruption left the preschool kids and their parents fearing for their safety. Alameda County sheriffs were able to defuse the June 11th confrontation. Lieutenant Ray Kelly told reporters that the incident was being investigated as a hate crime and that the men could face criminal charges for the annoying and harassing of children. Meanwhile, a Drag Queen Story Hour youth drag workshop scheduled for June 18th in Moline, Illinois, is canceled. The sponsoring nonprofit Clock Inc. deemed the persistent email threats against organizers, participants, and hosting venue Bass Street Landing to be too substantial. They could not guarantee the safety of the young attendees. In other Pride related news, the Republican controlled Michigan State Senate on June 14th defeated a resolution declaring June LGBTQ Pride Month, exactly the same resolution they approved last year. Three Republicans and all the chamber's Democrats voted in the minority. Democrat Jeremy Moss is the state's only out gay senator. He chastised his Republican colleagues. It's an election year, and you choose to exploit divisiveness and discard this resolution. They call people groomers only in 2022, but it doesn't solve your problems. They push don't say gay only in 2022, but it doesn't solve your problems. They protest drag queens only in 2022, but it doesn't solve your problems. They prey on people's fears, but it doesn't solve your problem. We instead choose inclusion. We choose love. We choose respect. We choose human dignity. We choose pride. 
The Horry County, South Carolina Council has unanimously rescinded a pride proclamation they say they had accidentally unanimously passed in May. Councilmember Johnny Vaughn told CNN that the resolution just said Pride Month. The fact that it was in support of their LGBTQ citizens had escaped them. Their June 7th vote to rescind was in response to a torrent of email criticism from locals who knew what Pride meant. Horry County includes the notoriously conservative cities of Conway and Myrtle Beach. The Lincoln, Nebraska City Council observed Pride Month on June 13th by rescinding an ordinance banning discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. The measure had passed unanimously just four months ago. The vote was close, four to rescind the ordinance and three to maintain it. The majority bowed to a local petition circulated by the Nebraska Family Alliance threatening to put the issue on the November ballot. The war on the rainbow is escalating in the Middle East. Kuwait summoned Ambassador James Holtzneider earlier this month to complain about the U.S. Embassy's celebration of Pride Month in queer-supportive social media posts. Saudi Arabian authorities this week began seizing and banning the sale of rainbow-colored toys, children's clothing, hair clips, bows, hats, and pencil cases. An official claimed that they encourage homosexuality and contradict the Islamic faith and public morals. Qatar mounted a similar rainbow confiscation campaign during the holiday season last December. Officials there are now warning fans and competitors coming to the World Cup later this year against any displays of the rainbow flag as a queer rights provocation. Major General Abdulaziz Al-Ansari says it's for their own safety. Finally, filmgoers in Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Lebanon, and almost a dozen other countries won't be able to see the latest installment of Disney Pixar's Toy Story franchise, Lightyear. Why? Disney officials are refusing to cut a kiss between major supporting character Hawthorne and her wife. Producer Galen Sussman said at the movie's red carpet premiere in London, something as important as the loving and inspirational relationship that shows Buzz what he's missing by the choices that he's making, that's not getting cut. The animated film is also likely to be banned in China, according to Reuters. Actor Chris Evans is the voice of Buzz Lightyear in the Toy Story prequel. He told Variety that he is honored to be a part of a film that embraces the growth that makes us human and called social media trolls and other homophobic critics dinosaurs. Evans told Reuters, The truth is, those people are idiots. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending June 18th, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. And you can read the transcript and listen to News Wrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm Michael LeBeau. And I'm Wendy Natividad. Stay healthy. Hi, this is Janice Ian, and you're listening to This Way Out. You ain't gonna get this nowhere else. This Way Out is supported in part by contributions from our listeners. Some give a little each month. Some make a larger annual contribution. More information and a link to give are online at thiswayout.org. Thank you. For a lot of my students, 
Uh, they might be really dynamic in their sport, and they also might be the campus LGBT activist, and they don't know this history. But you'll learn some of that history after this. Pride is back at the White House. U.S. President Joe Biden brought pride back with a vengeance against the torrent of anti-LGB and especially T laws sweeping the country. At the reinstated White House Pride Month reception on June 15th, Biden signed an executive order covering gender-affirming services for youth, mental and reproductive health care, inclusive school curricula, housing and senior issues, conversion therapy, and data collection. He pledged his ongoing commitment to equality. No one knows better than the people in this room. We have a lot more work to do. A lot more work to do. I don't have to tell you about the ultra-MAGA agenda attacking families and our freedoms. 300 discriminatory bills introduced in states across this country. In Texas, knocking on front doors to harass and investigate parents who are raising transgender children. In Florida, going after Mickey Mouse, for God's sake. <laughs> that strike closed the home. My message to all the young people, just be you. You are loved. You are heard. You are understood. You do belong. And I want you to know that, as your president, all of us on this stage have your back. We have your back. U.S. President Joe Biden. Happy Pride Month. This is Bonnie J. Morris, and you're listening to This Way Out Radio. Recent political attacks against trans athletes are bringing heightened media coverage to all women athletes. But then, issues around women in sports have been debated for centuries. This Way Out's Brian DeShazer talks with the author of a new book that puts the past and the present into perspective. I'm with Bonnie J. Morris, author of 19 books and a member of the Authors Guild. She's been teaching women's sports history since 1996, and we are going to be talking about her new book, What's the Score? 25 Years of Teaching Women's Sports History, which is basically a teaching memoir. Bonnie, welcome back to This Way Out. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here today. I've known you as a historian and teacher of women's music history, so this is actually a new thing for me to talk to you about women's sports which anybody who knows me is not one of my prominent subjects, but I'm, I'm down for it. Well, like you, I'm not necessarily a stunning athlete, but I'm a really good historian. And it may seem, uh, yes, curious to a lot of people who know me doing uh, lesbian archival history in our community uh, that all along I've been this uh, sports scholar. And that happened uh, mostly because I'm interested in women's communities. If you look at the history of homophobia, inevitably, you'll look at sports and American culture because we have this weird dynamic where if you're a guy and you don't do sports or you're not good at sports, you're gay. And if you're a gal and you're talented at sports, you're a big dyke. And those are the stereotypes. And they reflect the absolute utmost of sex role 
binaries and stereotypes in our culture. So it's a great platform for looking at homophobia, sex discrimination, and strange attitudes in the United States about who becomes a celebrity because they are gifted at what? Women's sports were not considered valued or interesting or worth courting. And I asked um, the university if I could develop uh, a new course, which was called Athletics and Gender. So it looked at how um, stereotypes in sport affect men too. And initially, it was mostly women who enrolled and about half athletes and half women's studies majors. And then very quickly, it burgeoned into this popular monster I'm still grappling with now. You know, it happened that one guy took the class thinking it would be easy, and then he recommended it to a friend, and then I had three, and then I had seven. And the word spread that I was not, you know, a, a man hating toadstool, but a person who really was an advocate for athletes, particularly athletes of color, and international students as well. And I was always out just as out as the backyard from the very beginning. So the gay students knew they could talk to me privately, if not in the classroom. We also looked at a lot of issues that forced students to think about topics they didn't expect. Pre-colonial America, indigenous women of differing tribes are skilled at sports ranging from foot races, swimming and wrestling to ball games, including lacrosse. White settlers are shocked to see women excel at what they consider manly pursuits, including leadership roles in tribal councils, peacemaking, conflict resolution, and diplomacy. The start of your book has an interesting timeline that actually goes back to pre-colonial America. I'm so glad you appreciate the timeline. I worked very hard on it, and it, it's a guide, I'm hoping, for future students and, and, you know, fans and researchers, um, it was very important to me to include indigenous culture. And we know that, you know, the game of lacrosse was introduced to white people by Native Americans. And unfortunately, the amazing skills and athletic dominance of women uh, shocked Puritan settlers who not only tried to uh, modify the dress of the indigenous women they encountered, but you know, shut them out of what they consider to be manly pursuits, not just sports, but diplomatic leadership and the hunt and so on. We know that the kind of ultra modest clothing that was expected of women hampered their ability in sports. But I also make the point in my classes that if you begin with colonial America, we have to remember that men's sports were also banned because they were considered the devil's workshop. They were a waste of time, better spent reading scripture. If you were caught playing on a Sunday, even jumping or running or you know a foot race, boys and men, what was called uh, muscular Christianity, that you had to keep your body fit and, and ready uh, to serve God and country. Uh, for women, we, we always, of course, have um, games and activities that are intended to make women attractive to men, and that might include ballroom dance, but nothing that made you sweat or get disheveled. Of course, big irony in the 19th century is there were ideals for white femininity that did not apply to enslaved women who were made to work very hard 
uh, forced to wear what was considered immodest clothing, uh, had to be out in the broiling sun, uh, sweating and lifting and carrying enslaved women, farm women, women toiling in factories, working class uh, women. So against that backdrop, we do have the beginning of women's colleges with women's baseball. In the 1890s, basketball introduced to women. Uh, and uh, we have the first uh, game between uh, UC Berkeley and Stanford in 1896, and the score is 2-1. You are listening to Bonnie J. Morris, author of What's the Score? 25 Years of Teaching Women's Sports History. Back to the 1890s, we have the modern uh, Olympics begin again in 1896 with their male only until the 1920s. And we do have the Fort Shaw Indian School sending the best women's basketball team in the United States uh, to compete at the World's Fair in St. Louis around 1904. Um, that's a very sad and lovely story at the same time. Uh, this was a, a government school. They defeated all challengers at the World's Fair, but when they weren't dominating on the court, they were made to sort of sit inside in a kind of display stall, ironing and sewing to show uh, white visitors how civilized they were. They had to wear, you know, missionary style dresses and pinafores. After they graduated from, from Fort Shaw, most of them could only find work as maids in, in white households. So um, we use the film uh, Playing for the World, which is uh, produced by the Montana Historical Society that tells that story. 1932, Babe Didrikson emerges as the best female athlete of the 20th century at the Olympic Games in Los Angeles. African-Americans Louise Stokes and Tidy Pickett also qualify for the Games, but are banned from competing. In looking at the timeline, much of what I document is all along women have been breaking records and they often are able to break barriers when the country needs them. So most people now are familiar with the story of the All-American Girls Baseball League in World War II. And we love the movie, A League of Their Own. And a lot of that is fairly accurately portrayed. Uh, the women had to wear you know, very short uniforms to appeal to a male audience. They were forbidden, which haircuts. They had all kinds of rules that were supposed to highlight their femininity. And the idea was this contrast that they were, they looked like ladies, but played like men. So a lot of those women were lesbians and um, they towed the line because it was good pay. And remember, they're just coming out of the depression and they were major wage earners. And the league actually lasts until 1954. It does not end as soon as World War II is over, as many people assume. For women, the expectation was as soon as the war is over, you should go back home into the kitchen, have babies. So anybody who was not doing that looked different. And moreover, if you were on a competitive team and you had to travel, that took time away from family and baby. And it was very difficult uh, for a single woman not so much, but what kind of woman was single in the baby boom? So that created more uh, suspicion uh, for women who wanted to continue an athletic lifestyle. 1959, 
Told that women may not compete in judo, Rusty Kanakoji wins the YMCA Judo Championship disguised as a man and is afterward stripped of her medal. She moves to Japan, becomes the first woman to earn a seventh-degree black belt, and in 1988 finally reaches her dream of introducing women's judo to the Olympics. For a lot of my students, uh, they might be really dynamic in their sport, and they also might be the campus LGBT activist, and they don't know this history. They don't know what the politics were of the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. They don't know who came before them in their sport, you know, beyond five years ago. They don't know how recently it became legal to be a homosexual in the United States. They might be acquainted with uh, gay marriage. They are not acquainted with Lawrence versus Texas or what we used to call sodomy laws. They're shocked to learn that in my lifetime, I had friends who were committed to mental institutions by their parents because they were caught kissing another girl or whatever. They don't know the kind of um, uh, expectations in the McCarthy era that college students and professors like me would have to sign a loyalty oath. I am not a communist and I am not a homosexual. If you wanted to be at Berkeley. Two days after this interview was conducted, news of Maybelle Blair, one of the inspirations behind the iconic film, A League of Their Own, came out publicly at 95 years old. Bonnie sent this celebratory note. It's never too late to come out of the closet. At 95, Maybelle Blair is a champion yet again, both affirming the depth of American lesbian history and revealing the cost of homophobic pressure in elite sports. You've been listening to an interview with Bonnie J. Morris, the author of What's the Score? 25 Years of Teaching Women's Sports History, a new book published by Red Lightning Books. Women's Sports News continues with the ongoing saga of lesbian U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner, whose detention in Russia has been extended yet again. The seven-time All-Star with the Phoenix Mercury and two-time Olympic gold medalist was arrested February 17th when Russian officials allege they discovered vape cartridges containing hashish oil in her luggage. She will remain in Russia detention until Saturday, July 2nd, based on the extension announced on Tuesday. In response to the news, State Department spokesman Ned Price told reporters, Yesterday, uh, representatives of the department, representatives of the uh, Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs, uh, and a senior representative from our Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs uh, met with uh, Phoenix Mercury um, as they are here, so we are regularly keeping them uh, apprised uh, of her case. We were last able to have consular access to Brittany Griner last month. Uh, we continue to press uh, for regular, continued access. This is a case that we are uh, working assiduously behind the scenes. Um, we've been in regular contact with Russian authorities. This case is problematic from top to bottom. Uh, it is precisely why we have characterized Brittany Greiner as a uh, wrongful detainee. It's precisely why uh, we are doing everything we can uh, to see and to affect uh, her prompt release from Russian detention. For This Way Out, I'm Brian DeShazer.
Thanks for finding This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Wendy Natividad and Michael Lebeau, produced by Brian DeShazer, and from Brian DeShazer, with an assist from Lucia Chappelle. Ketza performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This way out thanks to Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Ivana Foundation, a bequest from Christopher David Trentum, and donors David Hunt and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lucia Chappell and the entire This Way Out crew, I'm Greg Gordon. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org and on KGAY, Thousand Palms, Coachella Valley, California, WGDR, Plainfield, Hardwick, Vermont, 3CR, Fitzroy, Victoria, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.